Well, good morning, everybody. We are going to start today with a thought experiment. So I want you to use your imagination and pretend that you are uh, living in a village in the Amazon rainforest. All right, so let's just imagine that you live in this village and uh, one day you and three friends are out walking through the village or walking through some trails in the woods in the in the jungle and you're looking for some fresh mangoes for a little treat because they're delicious and it's the best fruit in the world so and it's the saddest thing in the world that it doesn't grow here okay anyway so you're you're out looking for mangoes you and your friends you come across a river now this river is one that you've you've encountered hundreds and hundreds of times before but something's different you hear something that you've never heard before and it's like a like a muffled crying sound and you and your friends are like what is that sound what is that you're looking around trying to figure out where's that sound coming from and then you see it there's a basket floating down the river and you hear that crying sound coming from inside the basket and you realize there's a baby in there there's a baby in that basket floating down the river. And so without even thinking about it, what do you do? You jump in, you swim out, you grab the basket, and you pull it back to shore. So then you and your friends are, are you know, you open up the basket, and sure enough, there's a baby in that basket on the river. And you're all thinking, oh my word, there's a waterfall right down there. And if that baby had kept going, surely it would have died. We were able to save that, that baby. Incredible. So you're all kind of, you got the adrenaline rush and you're, you're patting each other on the back and thinking, I can't believe we came here. What a, what a great moment to be here. And just as you're about to figure out what you're going to do with this baby, you hear it again, that muffled crying sound. You look down, it's not this baby you look up and realize, oh, there's another basket in the river. And so you, you're kind of tired, so you turn to your friend, and you say, why don't you go get this one? And so your friend's just about to jump in the river when you look up and say, wait, there's another basket in the river. And you hear more muffled crying from that one. And then, and then just as you're trying to make sense of that, you realize there's another basket and another one and another one. And before long, you realize there are not tens, not dozens, but hundreds of baskets floating down the river. And each one of them has a baby inside. So you look at your friends, and you've got a choice to make. What do you do? What do you do? There are a few options for what you can do in a situation like that. And I've got some titles for what I like to call these different options. The first thing that you could do is leave. You could be a lever. Uh, a lever is someone that, that, look, you look at the situation and you think, there's... There's no way that we could possibly save all of these babies in baskets. There's no point in even trying. I'm out of here. May not seem like a totally reasonable thing to do in a crisis like that, but you know what? It's a pretty big problem. We might as well leave. That's an option. But let's say you didn't want to leave. Let's say you wanted to stick around and do something about the babies in the river. What do you do? Well, one option would be to be what I call a jumper. A jumper is someone who jumps in the river and tries to get as many baskets out of the river as possible. One basket at a time until your energy runs out. That's what a jumper does. Maybe that's you. Or maybe you could be a seeker. A seeker goes upstream and tries to figure out who's throwing babies in the river in the first place because if we can stop them, then there's going to be a whole lot less babies to, to save. So maybe you're a seeker. Or, and this is another option, you could be a shouter. A shouter is someone who runs back to the village and said, says to anyone who will listen, guys, there are babies in the river. Let's go. We've got work to do. So there's lever, there's jumper, there's seeker, and there's shouter. Which one are you? Now, this is probably obvious, 
But this whole babies in the river thing, it's a metaphor. This is actually a metaphor for injustice. That's what we're talking about today. Uh, the babies in the river represent the countless people in our world today who are being crushed by the weight of poverty or who are being uh, denied basic human rights. The vulnerable people of our world who are being taken advantage of. The, the poor, the marginalized, the sick, the hungry, the enslaved, and on and on. Those are the babies in the river. They are victims of injustice. It is, in, in our world, an unending stream of human suffering. And frankly, there are no quick fixes. There's no one thing you can do to just fix the problem and solve it. And just like that thought experiment, you and I, we have a choice of what we are going to do in response. Just like, a, like, like in that thought experiment, we could... For example, believers. We could. There are a lot of people who choose this. This is an option. Leavers give up before we even start because the problem is frankly just way too overwhelming. Right? Like, like when you're faced with the, the caste system or human trafficking or, or uh, vast income inequality, I mean, it is so crushingly overwhelming that you just, you, you basically just ask, what difference could I possibly make? And so you walk away. And by the way, when you walk away, you try not to think about the fact that all those babies are in the river. Now, this seems like an inconceivable option, but think about the people you know. Think about maybe even yourself. There are a lot of people in our world who are leavers, a lot of leavers. But again, if, if we choose to act, if we choose to actually do something about injustice, we do have options for where our focus can be. We can be jumpers. Jumpers uh, are the people who try to help as many individuals as they possibly can, one at a time. These are the clinic workers or the, the caretakers, the food pantry volunteers, the orphanage directors, the teachers, the counselors, the, the foster parents, jumpers. And this is a, a crucial role in our struggle against injustice. We need brave people to step up and spend themselves on behalf of the poor and the marginalized. One person at a time, face to face. We need jumpers. But as that metaphor makes clear, there are other ways to, to seek to heal injustice. For example, we can be seekers. We can, can go upstream and, and try to attack the root causes of injustice, the systems of injustice that, that keep people trapped there in the first place. Seekers are, are people like lawyers who are working to prosecute sex traffickers, or the advocates who are seeking education reform, the activists standing up against systemic racism, researchers working to, to, to develop better agricultural sustainability, or the investigators who are exposing corruption. All of those are seekers, and seekers do whatever they can to pull up systemic injustice by the roots and attack it upstream at the source. Those are seekers. Finally, we need shouters. Shouters. I, I think of myself in some ways as a bit of a shouter. Shouters are focused on getting more people down to the river. How many more people can we get in the game of, of fighting injustice? Shouters, they learn about the needs, they understand what God is doing to heal them, and then they tell anyone who will listen that there's work to be done. Shouters are people like journalists, journalists or storytellers or artists or musicians or prophets or pastors. 
or photographers. These are the people who, who won't rest until everyone is doing their part. So which one are you? Which one are you? Are you a lever? Are you a jumper? Are you a seeker? Or are you a shouter? Now, realistically, the work of injustice, of fighting injustice, usually combines these roles in some way. I mean, nobody's rarely is anybody purely doing one of these things. But I think it's really helpful to think about the work of justice using this little thought experiment because it helps us do some self-evaluation. Am I leaving the babies in the river or am I doing something about it? And if I'm doing something about it, what's my role? This is the last sermon of Hope Month. And I, I say the last sermon and not the last week because next week is the last week of Hope Month when we are going out into our world to serve. Weekend of service. And I'm pumped. I am pumped because all month we've been talking about how God is in the business of healing and justice. And next week we all get to do that. We get to, to be a part of what he's up to. And so uh, as Cassie said, we're at 70%. I'm hoping that by the end of this message we'll be up maybe 71, 72% because weekend of service is a chance for us all to get down to the river and, and at the very least to dip our toes in the water and begin to do something that God cares about in this world. So if you haven't signed up, I really encourage you. You don't want to miss it. We already have like double the number of people signed up that we had for the entire weekend of service last year. You don't want to miss this major moment in the history of our church. And, and again, I'm so pumped to see how many people come from outside of Grace Church to participate with us. We get to lead the way and show our world what it looks like to do justice work. So don't miss it. Weekend of service next week. Okay. But this is the last sermon. And so what we're going to talk about today is one final aspect of biblical justice that I don't know that we've completely talked about all the way through. And it's this. Where is God in the midst of this? In the midst of injustice, where exactly is God? With all these babies floating down the river, what is Jesus doing? Where is he in the midst of that? So we're going to open our Bibles here in a minute. We're going to find out. But before we do, let's pray. Father God, thank you for this opportunity to listen to your voice. I don't take it lightly that we get to open your word and hear your voice. And so, Father, as we, as we explore these, these challenging topics together today, I ask that your Holy Spirit would speak clearly to each one of us. Would I just disappear and would your Holy Spirit remain in this message? And I pray that each one of us would have ears to hear what it is that you have for us this morning. I pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So in a moment, we are going to look at a, uh, one of the teachings of Jesus that is probably the most direct, most uh, explicit, mo most provocative things that he ever said about injustice. We're going to look at that. But as I often do, I want to set up some of the, the, the biblical threads that led to Jesus saying these things. You, you really cannot understand Jesus, in my opinion, without understanding uh, the soil that he was growing in, the Old Testament prophets and so on. So we're going to talk about that, and then we're going to look at what Jesus had to say. So all month, we've talked about how, how the message from God to the Israelites about injustice was really consistent throughout the whole Old Testament. 
O people, the Lord has told you what is good. And this is what he requires of you, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. It's, God has said that to them over and over in different ways. Justice and mercy and humility, these are the basic building blocks of the, the world that God desires, of, of what the people of Israel were meant to look like in this world. This world was meant, was designed to be full of God's abundance, God's life, not to be full of injustice and scarcity. This was what Israel was supposed to demonstrate to the world, right? I've talked about this before, that they were meant to, um, to show the world that there's another way to live. Injustice does not have to define this world. We can show the world something new. That's what the Israelites were supposed to do. But of course, as the biblical narrative makes really clear, that is not what happened. Not in Israel and not in our world. No, our world is, is full of injustice. Our world is full of scarcity. The vulnerable are abused. Widows and orphans and, and foreigners are neglected. There are babies in the river. They're not supposed to be, but there are. That's the truth that Scripture paints for us about the world that we live in. However, however, the biblical authors also make it really, really clear that God is doing something about this. God cares about injustice and he is working to heal it. But when you come to the Old Testament prophets, you realize that they have a unique way of, of, um, of describing what God is doing and going to do. And it can kind of get a little fire and brimstony. But let me, let me explain what I mean. If you read Joel chapter 3, we're not going to read that right now, but Joel chapter 3, he paints the picture of God gathering all the nations on earth together and he is going to judge them to judge them for injustice and all the ways that they have uh, shattered this world. And so it's judgment day that Joel depicts. And now I know with judgment day and judgment and God's judgment, that kind of carries some baggage with some of us. Maybe it's just like Terminator, uh, but it's also possible that you were raised in, I don't know, a fundamentalist background. And so when you think about God's judgment, it has kind of a very negative connotation for you. Okay, maybe that's where you are. But let's just, for a moment, just try to think about this in a purely neutral sense. When the, when the biblical authors are talking about God judging the world, what they really mean is, is what, what does it mean when, when a, a, a judge is good? When there's a good judge, what do you expect from that judge? Well, you expect that judge to make things right, don't you? You expect the judge to represent justice and to, to take something that's, that's messed up and to make it right. That's what a judge does. And that's what the, the biblical authors had in mind when they were talking about Judgment Day. The, a good judge establishes justice. And so there are a ton of these Old Testament passages that, that riff on this theme of God, the judge, doing just that. He's bringing justice. He's establishing it. And they dream of how on Judgment Day, God is going to finally make right all these things that, human, that humans have broken. That's what Judgment Day is all about. So Ezekiel is another example of one of the prophets that talks about this. And, and yet he wants to kind of make a, well, he's, he's really fire and brimstony, but he's got a very specific message for the people of Israel. And he's saying, hey, I know you're thinking that all the other nations are going to get judged. You're on the hook too, Israel. And here's what he says in, in Ezekiel 34. He says, As for you, my flock, this is what the sovereign Lord says to his people. I will judge between one animal of the flock and another, separating the sheep from the goats. 
then he kind of describes some of the injustice that was going on. And he says, isn't it enough for you to keep the best of the pastures for yourselves? Must you also trample down all the rest? In other words, I'm looking at you too, Israel. I'm looking at you. You've got a lot of injustice in your land. You're also going to be judged. And then there's Daniel 7. Daniel 7 is a hugely important passage in understanding Jesus and how he thought about himself. We're not going to look at it in depth right now, but I'm realizing we probably should need to do a whole series about Daniel 7 someday. But, but Daniel 7 is this very wild apocalyptic vision of these, these terrifying beasts that are trampling all over humanity. And, and basically what they represent are human empires and human injustice that just chews up people, the vulnerable, in their wake. And they're wreaking havoc on the, the, on the earth. But then Daniel says this, Daniel says this in this vision of all these, these monsters. He says, I watched as thrones were put in place and the ancient one sat down to judge. So the ancient one, Yahweh, he judges these beasts of injustice and he destroys them in Daniel 7 in this vision. But there's a twist. There's a twist. Yahweh, the ancient one, is not doing this judgment, judgment alone. I saw someone like a son of man, like a human, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. He was given authority and honor and sovereignty over all the nations of the world. So this, this son of man shares God's authority to judge and to make things right in the world. This is, this is a, a pretty amazing twist. And this right here, this vision of a, of a, of a righteous Israelite joining God as, as uh, the king over the world, this was the vision, the Messiah, the coming one, that the Israelites held on to. One day, a righteous human would join Yahweh and judge the world, make the world right, heal the brokenness of injustice. Okay. I would be happy to camp out here in the Old Testament prophets for a long time, but let's not. Let's move to Jesus. And let me just kind of show you what he does, how he draws these threads together. First of all, it's important to know that of all the titles that Jesus uses or refers to himself with, there's one that he uses more than any of the others, and it's the Son of Man. You see, Jesus saw himself as the fulfillment of that prophecy from Daniel 7. He's the son of man. And he has his own particular take on how judgment day is going to go down. And I want to show you this. So let's, let's turn together to Matthew chapter 25. It's going to be page 824 in the house Bibles in the seat in front of you. Um, we're going we're gonna to read this whole thing. It's a little bit long. It's a little bit long, but bear with me because I really believe this passage needs to be read in full. So here we go. Matthew 25, verse 31. This is what Jesus teaches right before he's crucified. He says this. But when the Son of Man, there's Daniel 7, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence. There's Joel chapter 3. And he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. There's Ezekiel. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. 
I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or, or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the king will turn to those on his left and say, away from you, away, away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry, and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked, and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth. When you refused to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. Whoa. Whoa, that is pretty intense. It's pretty intense. You don't get much more intense than that. Let's talk about it. Jesus here is taking all of those Old Testament passages that we talked about and all, all, a bunch of other prophecies that we didn't, and he's weaving them all together into this, this vision of what Judgment Day is going to be like. But here he is making a pretty provocative new claim. Whatever you did for the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did for me. Earlier, I said we were going to talk about where God is in the midst of, of injustice. And right here, we have an answer. Two, two places. One, first of all, yes, he is the one who is making all things right. Where's God with injustice? He is the righteous judge sitting on the throne. He's the one who rescues the vulnerable out of the hands of the unjust, right? He, whether in this world or in the new creation to come, he is going to make things right. That is what he does. That's where he is. But Jesus here is making a really startling claim. He's saying, yes, the Son of Man judges the unjust. It's what he does. He rescues the vulnerable. But he also is the vulnerable, he saves the outcast, but he is the outcast. He is the orphan. He is the widow. He is the foreigner. The son of man, he stops those babies being thrown into the river, but he is also the one in the basket. Now this is a paradox. You can't really wrap your mind around it. He's in both of these places at once. How is this possible? If you want to understand this, or at least try to understand this paradox, I'll tell you where to look. Look at the cross. Look at the cross. The creator of our universe so radically identifies and loves the marginalized, so radically identifies with them, the abused victims of injustice in this world, that he became one of them. He became one of them. The author of life dying naked on a cross. That is the Son of Man. 
That's the Son of Man. That is Jesus Christ. But so is the righteous judge rising from the grave to declare that the ferocious beasts of injustice in our world have finally lost their power. They're both true. Look at the cross. Where is our God in the midst of injustice? He's on the throne and he's in the gutter. I think the question for us then is will we meet him there in both places? Here's what I mean by that. Our world is filled with injustice, obviously. The Bible tells us in no uncertain terms that God is actively working to heal it. That's what we've talked about all month. It's what he cares about. It's what he does. It's where he is. I mean, just look at the life of Jesus. What did he do? He jumped into the river and he rescued a whole bunch of people suffering from injustice. He went upstream and he flipped tables at the temple to, to dismantle systems of injustice that were putting them there. And he was a shouter, man. He was a prophet. He told anyone who would listen how to get in the game. So we know, we know that when we do those same things, when we are jumpers or seekers or shouters, we are working shoulder to shoulder with the Son of Man. We are working with Jesus to heal injustice. That's where he is. He's right beside us. But this passage, Matthew 25, it also paints this provocative picture that if Jesus is also the one in the basket, if he is also the victim of injustice, if he so radically identifies with the poor and the marginalized, then when we join him in his work of justice, we will also meet him in the lives of those we serve. Put simply, if we join God in his work of justice, then we are surrounded by his presence. In front of us, behind us, shoulder to shoulder with us, he's everywhere in this work of healing and justice. Frankly, the only people who don't experience God in the struggle for justice are the ones who walk away. Believers, they're the only ones who aren't face to face or shoulder to shoulder with the creator. If you stay in the game though, if you do something, if you join God in this mission, then guess what? You are going to find Jesus everywhere you look. A perfect example of this is the care center, Grace's care center. When the, when the Choice Food Pantry is operating, I'm telling you, it is like a love fest back there. All right, it is, it is, it is joyful and happy and, and there's love and it's, it's truly, truly remarkable and, and amazing. You would think that in a place where people are, are having physical, tangible needs, where they are coming into a place to receive help, you would think that it could get a little dark, a little depressing, right? I mean, just what do you imagine? The volunteers, they're exhausted, they're overwhelmed by the need, they've got compassion fatigue and they're just barely making it to the end of the shift, right? That's what you're imagining? That's not the case. No, volunteers are, are I, every single time I volunteer in the care center, I come away energized. Even if I've had a really hard day, I, I serve at the care center and I leave thinking, well, great. You know, I don't know what that is. That happens. Same thing with the, with the care center friends that come to receive help. Again, you'd imagine that people who, who need help would come in and they would just be burdened with shame and embarrassment and, and guilt, all of these negative feelings, and you'd think it would get real dark and heavy in there for them. But that's not what happens. That's not what happens. No, they receive love. They receive dignity and, and hope and joy. They, they encounter family 
spiritual family, it truly is a love fest. You don't find heaviness and depression in the care center. You find joy and life and friendship and family. Every time I walk away energized. Why? Why is that the case? Why is it possible that the care center has that kind of vibe? Well, it's because as a volunteer, I'll speak for myself, when I serve at the care center, I routinely, routinely meet Jesus in the people I'm serving. He is there. He is there reminding me of what he cares about. He, he's, he's gently adjusting my misconceptions and my biases. He's speaking truth to me. I cannot tell you the number of times that I have heard the voice of the Spirit speaking to me through someone in poverty, someone in, in facing injustice, someone who is suffering. That's one of the avenues that he chooses to speak more than any other. I hear his voice when that happens. But, but I'm not just... I'm not just serving my neighbors in those situations, right? I'm serving God himself. Whatever you did for the, one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. That's why that happens. At the same time, care center friends who are coming in in a, in a time of need, they are entering a space that is filled with the truth that God loves them. They're seeing it everywhere they look. And every, the, the face of every volunteer says, you're welcome here and, and you are loved. There's no shame in being at the care center in a time of need because Jesus is right there bringing healing. He's bringing the dignity. He's on the throne. The Son of Man is, is, is making things right. At the care center, our, our care center friends hear the message loud and clear that they are not charity cases. They're not charity cases. They are beloved children of God. They are brothers and sisters. And God is going to bring justice into their world. And he's going to do it through his people, the church. This is how it's meant to be. The vulnerable encounter God through the church and the church encounters God through the vulnerable. It is a paradox and yet it's true. That is why the care center is a love fest. That's why, because God's presence is everywhere you look. He's all over the place. And if you've never experienced that, man, you gotta give it a try. If you're at a time of your life where you feel like God is distant from you, I'll tell you where he is. He's down at the river. You can meet him. You can meet him, you can work with him, and you can see him in the faces of those you serve. Now, the care center is just a tiny example. Just a, a, a tiny little example of, of one of the ways you can get in the game. All month, we've talked about our different partner ministries. We've been to Ukraine and, and to Haiti and to New York City. There are, and even those, those are just the tip of the iceberg of all the different organizations and opportunities that you could be involved in that do something about injustice. There are so many ways for you to meet Jesus in the least of these. To respond, to, to resolve, to rebel like we've been talking about this month. There are babies in the river. What role are you going to play? What role are you gonna play? Look, you can leave. You can leave. You can shrug your shoulders and say, it's just too hard. What, what could we possibly do? A lot of people do that. That's an option. A lot of people do. Or you can join God in the work that he cares about, the work of making things right. Whether you jump in as a, as a jumper, a seeker, or a shouter, Jesus is inviting you to join him in the work that he cares about. 
the work that he cares about, shoulder to shoulder with the Son of Man. Think of that. At the same time, he is inviting you to serve him in the least of these, to serve him in the vulnerable, to serve him in the exploited. When you do that, again, you are surrounded by the presence of God. There are babies in the river. What are you going to do? Let's pray. Well, Father, I can imagine that for, for some, maybe this message is helpful and clarifying because they already are in the game in some way. They're already volunteering, and maybe this helps them think differently about the work that they're doing. But I know, Father, that there are a number of people who are hearing my voice right now and they're just not in the game. They're not serving. They're not doing anything. And they've got their reasons and their good reasons. But Father, I want them to understand how much they're missing out. Missing out on meeting you. And so my prayer, maybe it's a provocative prayer, but I would ask that your Holy Spirit would convict every one of us. Convict us if we are not in the game. Encourage us if we are. And would you move us along to be the church that you've called us to be? A church that shows this broken world what's possible, that there's another way to live. Father, we don't want to sit on the sidelines anymore. We want to get in the game. And Father, we know that we will meet you there. So speak, Father. We are listening. And we want to follow your Son, the Son of Man, into the work that he cares about. We pray these things in his name. Amen.